we're going to get in the message in the Word of God. Uh, uh, we began for a few months now the theme of entering into God's rest. And I so believe in this theme, I so believe in what God wants to do, that we're going to stay on it until we get it. Amen. Until we get it. I truly believe that God wants all of us to enter into his rest. Now, we define rest as not being a vacation. We define rest as not being a relocation. In other words, I don't move from here to Orlando, I think I rested. But we define rest to be the satisfaction that is derived solely by our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Amen. It is not a vacation. It is not a relocation. Rather, a satisfaction that can only be found in our relationship, or shall I say, our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, the Bible says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, we've also identified certain keys that facilitate the entering into God's promised rest. Number one, we said we must acquire the language of the kingdom, which is sonish. S-O-N-I-S-H. Sonish. Number two, we said we must develop the culture of the kingdom, which is what? Love. Number three, and I've not taught this yet, that we must possess the attitude of the kingdom, which is thanksgiving. And number four, that we must operate in the system of the kingdom, which is faith. Huge. Now, last week we had a kingdom conversation where we sat down and we dialogued. Because oftentimes we come to church, a man or a woman will preach or teach, as the case may be, and we never get a chance to get a feedback. What are you learning? What are you hearing? What are the challenges? So last week, we did a kingdom conversation where we conversed. And particularly, we focused on the number two key, which is the culture of the kingdom, love. And Brother Sam Bonu raised a question as a result of that kingdom conversation, which I found to be very, very interesting. I never thought about it until he asked the question. And simply he said, what is or what are the benefits of love? Very simple question. I gave him an answer that day. But as I went home, Sammy and I were dialoguing and Sammy Badaki this time were talking and in that conversation I began to say that it's a lot more than what I gave him. So I called him immediately, gave him what I had, but this morning I want to use that as a launching pad to really speak about this issue of love. And let me tell you why this is important. If we don't get this right, we will not be able to move fully to enjoy the grace of God and the rest that God has for us. Love becomes the foundation upon which everything else in the kingdom is built. There are no two there are, not, there, there are not too many things about it. I mean, we, ha we had a meeting last week. And in that meeting, we left on the note, somebody made a comment, that there is low energy. That there is low energy within the church. That people are sluggish and, and just lethargic and, and not enthusiastic and not on fire. It's, it's true. But what we do not address is, why is that so? The reason that is so, which I did not address in that meeting, which I'm addressing now to the general population, is because love, first and foremost, is lived out within the family entity. Amen. Amen. The first place we all learn love, or live out love, 
is at home. Therefore, if I'm button heads with my wife at home, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Or I'm fighting with my children at home. Yes. Or vice versa. When I go to school, or when I go to work, or when I go to my business, or when I come to church, I'm already defeated. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm just putting on fig leaves, chanting, praise God, hallelujah, amen, glory be to God. And the enemy just laughs. Yes. He just laughs. Why? He knows you are a hypocrite. You didn't show love to your wife. You didn't demonstrate love to your husband. You've not shown love to your children. Children have not loved their parents. We have broken down the foundation upon which the kingdom of God is built, the culture of the kingdom. And if we come to church, we want to hug one another. Which kind of hug? Porcupines will pick you apart. Yes, sir. Tell it, Pastor. It's not going to work. This is why this is fundamental. This is hugely important. I told you my own testimony years ago. Where Bishop Fuller invited me to come and preach in Griffin. Living Stone Mountain. The drive from Stone Mountain to Griffin was one hour, ten minutes. My wife and I had a debate, a rigorous, rigorous, argumentative debate from my driveway to the parking lot of the church. Every message, every scripture, every anointing for that message was gone by the time I got to the parking lot. Yes. Now, given that kind of situation, what kind of a man or preacher will I be to get behind the second desk? I'm fighting with my wife, I'm preaching to the rest of the folk. I'll be ministering death, not life. So I recused myself. And to the preacher, I disqualified myself from ministry in my drive from Stone Mountain to Griffin. I cannot preach this morning. I need to receive ministry. Yes, sir. Amen. True story. Yes, sir. The man had to find one of those microwave messages. <laughs> because because <laughs> I didn't give him any notice. I just showed up. He said, I'm going to preach. I said, I can't preach. I'm disqualified. Under the glory of God, he preached a powerful message. Minister, the brother of us, we were both delivered in that service. Amen. Amen. I am telling you how love works. We cannot fight husband and wife at home. Go to work and be effective. Send our children to school and expect for them to learn. Kids bring bad grades home. I say, what's wrong with you? How come you can't learn math? Hello? Yes, sir. Doesn't work, sir. When husband and wife here 24-7, and these kids are hearing in their bedroom, traumatized, because they don't know if they're going to have a father tomorrow or a mother tomorrow. They don't know what the future holds for them. They do not understand if, in fact, father and mother will still be together to keep them, to nurture them, to love them, to protect them, to provide for them. Why do, why do you think they'll go to school and learn anything? Yes. So they bring bad grades home, we discipline them and reprimand them for bad grades that we caused. We cannot produce at work because we are distracted from the issues at home. Hello, somebody. Oh, I don't know if, if, if I'm the only one that's been through this. <laughs> Hallelujah. Love is the foundation. We need to get it right. That's why the vision of the church says we are building strong families to transform nations. You cannot transform nations with weak families. No. No, sir. It's not possible. The enemy that you're going to face in Thailand, in Cameroon, in Afghanistan, is the same devil that defeated you at home. Same devil. You just got a passport, you bought a ticket, you say, ah, chief, we finished you before you left your house. What are you doing here? We have to get it right. The home is the nurturing ground for love. 
And I cannot say this enough to those of you that have younger children. Get it right. You have an opportunity right now to get it right. Get your children. Sit them down. Let them know when you've made mistakes. Humble yourself enough to apologize to them. Teach them right. Because when you train a child in the way that you should go, when it grows old, he will or she will not depart from it. So the benefits of love. Number one. The benefits, number one. I said this last Sunday. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Love will give you the ability to give. Somebody said, how can I be a benefit to me? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Because in Luke 6, 38, we are told, when you give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. So if you ever want to receive anything, you're going to have to learn to give. But you will not be able to give if you don't settle the love issue. People that walk in love are generous. Generous. Generosity is a, is, is a direct consequence of love. The reason God is so generous, so overwhelmingly generous, is because God is love. Out of his loving kindness, he reigns on the just and the unjust. He gives to you and I, beyond and above, that which we can think or ask. Why? Is love. So number one benefit, love gives you the ability to give. Because through giving, you stand in a position to receive. Amen? Did you get that? Number two benefit. Ephesians 3.19, Paul admonishes us to learn or to understand the height, the breadth, the width, and the depth of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. So that, Ephesians 3.19 now, you and I may come to the fullness of God. In other words, apart from love, you will never get to the fullness of God. Apart from love, you will never get to the fullness of God. So love gives you and I the ability to get to the fullness of God. Somebody said, what does that mean to get the fullness of God? Again, I'm glad you asked. What would you, what would it be like for you to live the way Jesus lived on the earth? Anything you want on demand. Because the Bible said Jesus, John chapter 3, the Bible talks about how Jesus came and had the spirit with that measure. No earthly limitation. None whatsoever. The fullness of God is upon him. It's time to pay your taxes. You speak it and the money comes. It's time to go to Thailand. You speak it, you translate it. Forget Delta Airlines. And United Airlines. And Malaysia Airlines. Forget all of them. I just get translated. The fullness of God. In other words, whatever God's ability is, you will have it. Think of, the, think of the potentials of such a living. Hello? Number three benefit. Ah, this is so good. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. The last part of verse 6. The Bible says faith works through love. That is enough motivation to work in love. If I have the faith to move mountains, but if I have not love, the Bible says I'm, I'm joking. So some of us have faith, but the faith does not translate into manifestation because we lack love. Because the vehicle through which faith works is love. Faith 
walk it through love. If I want my faith to be activated, I want my faith to work on a regular, consistent basis, I need to have love. Amen? Amen. And lastly, before I move forward in this message this morning, lastly, number four, John 13, verse 35, Jesus said, by this, we all know that you are my disciples when we walk in love. So walking in love is the acid test that you and I are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not how much money I have. Not how anointed I am. Not how many gifts of the spirit I operate in. But by this, by love, all we know that you are indeed my disciples. Breaking it down. Through love, we can win the world. That's a benefit. Through love, you or me, we together can win the world. Everybody understands that language, love language. Even the dog in your house knows when you love it. Dog, D-O-G. Four-legged animal. That has no soul or spirit, yet recognizes, acknowledges, and responds to love. So God says, by loving one another, through this, the whole world will know. You don't have to preach a message. You don't have to tell them who you are. By the time they see how you demonstrate love one to another, they will know. Four benefits. Now, having established that, let's just move forward in this message. And again, like I said, we're going to we're going to be here for a few Sundays because I want to make sure that we understand uh, the issues relating to love so that we can not only love one another, but we can love the world into which God has sent us. So now let's go to John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And we're going to take this a little at a time. We're not going to say everything at one time because I want to make sure we are able to assimilate what God is saying to us. John 13, verse 34. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all we know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, going back to that verse 34, let, I want to read that again because I want us to see the point here. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Okay, I get that, Jesus. I get that. I should love my brother. But how? How should I love them? As I have loved you. That's the qualifier. The kind of love that God is calling for is not the human love of conditional affection or love where we fall in love today and fall out of love tomorrow. No. In fact, in order to appreciate what Jesus is saying, let's go back to the beginning of John chapter 13. Verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that he his hour had come that he should, he should depart from this world to the Father. Now, notice what it says next. Having love his own who were in the world, what did he do? He loved them to the end. What? What? Do we really truly understand what the scripture is saying here? Because these men, that the Bible says he loved to the end, were not necessary men that deserved being loved to the end. Among them, we know for a fact, was Judas Iscariot, who would in a few moments betray him. 
He was with the twelve. And in spite of the fact that Jesus knew very well that among these twelve, one will betray and say, I don't know him. Yes. Another will be the one that gives him away with a kiss. Yes. In spite of that knowledge, the Bible said he loved them to the end. Yes. Not just loving them to the end, he did something to show the act of his love by washing their nasty, dirty feet. Yes. Yes, including the betrayer. Yes, sir. He did not look at that group and say, ah, Ada is a good girl. I love her. Come, Ada, let me, let me wash yours first. And then look at the others. I said, this one, I'm not sure about you. I'll, I'll, I'll find a way not to. No. No. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Unconditional. Without merit. Without qualification, without judging you, yes. without labeling you, without taking into account your human failures, without taking into account how you betray or disappoint me, all of those don't count. I'm going to love you to the end. To the end. Including Judas, Iscariot, who betrayed him to be killed. So the issue for us this morning, what I want us to really get today in this message, let me go read one more verse of scripture and then I'm going to focus on this in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Jesus is making it very clear here as to how he wants us to love one another. He wants us to love one another only in the same way as he has loved us. No less. Only in the same way as he has loved us. In First John chapter 4, in verse 19, he says, we love him. How? Why? Because he first loved us. That's why I was so blessed this morning by that simple, simple song that we just sang during the prison worship. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. Simple song. But if you ever understand truly in your heart what it means, it will radically change you. Radically. Radically change us. We love. We are able to love. Why? Because he first loved us. If I am not able to receive his love to me, I will never be able to give it out. The reason I cannot love my brother or my sister is not because I don't know what to do in my head, but because I've not received in my heart his love for me. I cannot give what I don't have. So if we are going to address this love issue, Jesus is saying we should love one another as he has loved us. Then we need to go to that beginning. How has God loved us? How? How has God loved me? Does God love me? Do you believe that? Everybody in this room, if you want to ask the question, everybody will raise up their hands and say, yeah, God loves me. Nine out of ten, we easily, readily admit, acknowledge that God loves us. But if we are to stand in front of a moving 18-wheeler trailer that's not slowing down anytime soon, you will wonder in a hurry if in fact God loves you. If that love is not set in your heart. If it's not set in your heart. How and does God really love us? That's huge. It's amazing when, we, amazing when we read the Gospel of St. John. What makes this Gospel stand out to me? John, the author of that Gospel, had such a healthy confidence of God's love for him. 
So much so that five times in his gospel, the number of grace, yes. he reminds everybody else, I am the disciple whom God, who Jesus loves. Now, Greg, I don't know about you. I'm not sure about your resume, your, your profile, but I can tell you something. Yes, I am the disciple yes, sir. that Jesus loves. Five times. Yes. He reminds the rest of those disciples. I don't know about your relationship with God, but I can tell you about my relationship. I've settled it. It's not a matter of my head knowledge. It is in my heart. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Five times. Five times. I don't want to bother you to read them all to you, but you can write them down if you want to see them. John 13 verse 23, John 19 verse 26, John 20 verse 2, John 21 verse 7, John 21 verse 20. Five times mentioned in the scriptures. Again, John 13 verse 23, John 19 verse 26, John 20 verse 2, John 21 verse 7. John 21 verse 20. Five times. If nothing else, if you just go home and just keep on saying that to yourself. God, I want to thank you because I know without a shadow of doubt I am the disciple whom you love. Say it in the morning time. Say it in the afternoon time. Say it at midnight time. Go to bed. Lay your head on your pillow. Keep on reminding yourself, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. I guarantee you, you do it enough times, you meditate in it enough times, Jesus will show up to confirm that love to you. Amen. He will show up to give a confirmation. Not only are you true, yes, I love you. Love you so much, I gave my life for you. Our problem is that our love tank is near empty. We need a refill. We need to replenish that love tank on a consistent and regular basis. How do I know that Jesus loves us so much? How do I know that this love for us is unconditional? Look at this life. John chapter 8. We can start there. Oh no, let me go back. John chapter 4. Let's begin there. His encounter with the woman of Samaritan. When you understand the context and the fact that Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Why? Because they were of mixed blood. They were hated, despised, ostracized, and rejected. If you put it in today's world, in today's language, the Samaritans, or rather the Jews, were biased or prejudiced against the Samaritans. It was a racial discrimination, if you will. Many of you have applied for jobs where the enemy told you you didn't get it because you were racially discriminated against. And you've bought that. You've settled for that. Many of us have sub positions for which they said, because you have an accent, you can get it. And you believed it. You bought a lie. Let me ask you, what accent was God speaking? <laughs> they said, you're too slimy, you're too slim, you're too slender, you can't get this job. So you believe it. Ah, oh, you're too big, you can't get a job. You believe it. Like the Samaritan woman, many of us have bought into the wrong things. So Jesus said in the King James Version, I must needs go through Samaria. Oh, there are many more GPS directions that I could take to my location, to my destination, to where I'm going. There are many routes, if you will. Many routes, depending on where you are from the United States. You can call it route, you can call it route, whatever you want to call it. Many directions to get to my destination. But there was a divine demand placed upon him to go through Samaria. Because there is a person in Samaria 
that her world has rejected, that the world was prejudiced against, that the odds were against, everything stacked high against her. Number one, racial prejudice. Number two, she did not help herself by her lifestyle. So the Jews discriminated against her. And in her own world, in her own oikos, in her own community, she did not have a good reputation. This was a woman that no husband or no woman would want their, 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 their husband to, to help change the spare tire. This is a woman that was a no-go area. If any man smiled at her, there's trouble. Because this woman had a bad rap in the community. Everything was working against this woman. And yet there was a divine demand. I must meet, go through Samaria. And not only did Jesus find her at the well, Jacob's well, the woman, because of her reputation, would not dare even open her mouth to speak to a man because for, for the fear that the man may, may, may misunderstand that maybe she's making a play at him. Yes. So Jesus broke that mood. He broke the protocol. He initiated a conversation that in the Jewish history would have been a taboo for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan woman. But not only that, one of such ill repute at that set her up, give me to drink. What? The woman says, do you know who I am? Society has written me off. I'm a Samaritan woman. Which means you Jews have no dealings with us, plus on top of that, I have a bad rap. You are asking me to give me to drink? Jesus began to talk to her. You know the whole story. And ask her a question. Where's your husband? <laughs> the woman said, of course. I have no husband. Let me just take a pause right there. For those of us, young, single people, please don't accept shacking up as being equivalent to having living in a covenant relationship. Say it again, Pastor. <laughs> I heard something yesterday on TV, and I think it sounds really good. I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it. No covenant, no cookie. If you are not willing to cut a covenant, you should not be willing to eat the cookie. Yes, sir. Ah, I know you guys are so safe, and I need to, I need to hoop a little bit. Oh, Lord, I just said, if there is not. Jesus said, where's your, where's your husband? Go get your husband. I have no husband. He said, you are right. The man that's living with you is not your husband. There's no covenant there. Yes. You are just shacking up. Young people, don't let any man or any woman say anything to your head to say, well, let's just try it out and live together for three months and then if everything is fine, we may just go ahead and get your ring. It's a lie! What are you going to try out? When did Adam try out Eve? When did Isaac try out Rebecca? Hello, somebody. There's no tryout. This is a lifetime covenant commitment. If he's not willing to make a commitment, you shouldn't be willing to give up the cookie. No covenant, no cookie. Ah, I got Rosie's attention now. She's smiling. Praise God. She's not smiling all service long. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> so Jesus said to that issue right away with her. So you well said, yeah, you're speaking the truth. 
But, but, but please notice the tenderness with which he leads her. Tenderly, gently, with love, without condemnation to where he wants her to be. You want to know about God's love? God's love never condemns. If anything or anyone is condemning you, it is not God. Oh, does God correct? Absolutely. But the way and manner in which it brings correction does not bring condemnation. And let me also say this. Because Jesus went on to tell her, actually you've had five husbands. Now, I just told you the one you're with, you're shocking. But in reality, you've had five before then. Five husbands, plural. And I want to say this because I don't want anyone here or maybe listen to me to think that because by some situation that is adverse that you and I may not understand in this room right now, you've been through a divorce and therefore that labels you as an outcast. You are not an outcast. Because Jesus acknowledges the woman's having married and divorced and married and divorced five times. Now, does that say we're endorsing divorces and people? No, we're not saying that. Absolutely not, God forbid. It is a tough, traumatic experience for anyone who goes through it. But I'm saying having been through it though does not mean the end of the world for you. There is a new day. There is a dawning of a new season. God is a God on second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and as many chances as you need to get. I know denominations that says because a man of God, a woman of God gets a divorce and therefore they are no longer qualified for ministry. I wonder what Jesus has to say about that. Because after having finished with this woman, she became his mouthpiece. Yes an entire city and brought a revival to the whole city to the glory of God and these denominations are saying this they've not won a town yet they've not won a village yet they are labeling people and judging according to appearance when the Bible says judge not according to appearance but righteous judgment God forbid God's love is so powerful that God sent him just to go and touch one person who was living in a tough, tough situation to liberate her and set her free. Yes. And she became free to the glory of God. What are you dealing with for which God does not have an answer? Yes. What is the situation? We are talking about God's love, and I'm going to try to bring this to, 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 to a good close here. In another passage, for some reason, if you notice all these passages, it is women that are victimized. Because now the Jews said, we caught this woman in adultery, in the very act. Now, what they were doing there to catch anybody in the act. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> now to see how ridiculous these guys were, they brought the woman to Jesus, but the man. Because I don't, see, I don't think the woman could do it by herself. <laughs> now, I don't want us to miss the reason for which women were, 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 were the victims or were the ones that were brought. Let me just throw that out there so we can move on. Women in the scriptures, for the most part, represents the church. It was also a woman, what? With the issue of blood yes. that came to Jesus. Yes. I don't have time to get into all of that. But just remember that symbolically, women represent the bride of Christ. So what we're saying here is, what's happened to this woman really is happening to the church. How quick are you and I to judge my brother? Ah, you should know see brother so so and so. If you know him, hey. he buys his liquor by gallons. 
and you become the CNN that publishes your brother's weakness. That's what those guys were doing. They brought the woman to Jesus. We caught her in the very act. What are you going to do? Our Lord says, we should stone her to death. What are you going to say? Notice that Jesus was quick to listen, but slow to speak. That's my problem and your problem. Before somebody carries a rumor or brings a gossip, before they can finish it, you have them finish it. Ah, I know her. You are right. Jesus didn't do that. He listened to what he was saying, but slow to speak. He will not use his mouth to commit something that God has not spoken. The Bible said he, continued, he started writing with his finger on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. But what we do know is those men saw what he wrote. And one by one, they checked out. They were gone. And then Jesus finally spoke. Don't miss the point. He allowed a little pause. The wisdom of God in him said, don't open your mouth too quickly. This is a trap. Listen through the voice of the Spirit. And in doing that, he wrote on the ground. Sufficient enough to wear whatever he wrote, convicted those men, they were gone. Yes, sir. And then he just said, Woman, where are these done accusers? Where are they? Who's accusing you? The woman said, They are gone. They're not here. I said, Well, so I don't accuse you either. However, go and sin no more. It is important you understand that grace does not mean you should sin. Uh, it is very, very important we understand the other aspect of grace. We are not just saying that Jesus took care of our sins. We know that and we thank God for that. But you also need to understand that he definitely does not want you and I to continue to live in sin. He loves me and you the way we are, but it does never, it never wants to live us the way we are. You need to understand that. It loves you just the way you are. But it does not want to leave you in that condition. Go and say no more. So again, Jesus in dealing with this woman caught in adultery showed us clearly that his love superseded the sin the woman was in. What sin is stopping you from experiencing the love of God this morning? We've said this before, but I want to show it to you in scripture now. And that is the point that God is not angry with you. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. If I can ever get a message, if there's any way I can open your heart and write it there, you need to get that. God is not angry with me. The anger of God for the sins of the world were packaged and placed upon his son. Religion wants to represent to us God's love. So, if you fall into a sin and lose your job, they say, God made you lose your job. If you are doing something you have no business doing and you became sick, they say, God placed the sickness on you. If you're going through a hard time, trial, tribulation, they say, oh, God ordered it. If you're having a fight with your wife, they say, it's God that did it. To teach you a lesson so that you can come back and be humble. If God was a man living in Atlanta, Georgia today, you'd be arrested. For all the things we place and blame him for. We will say because a man does not see God's love when he was a child. That's why God had gone and killed his mother and father. The problem of God. If God were a man, he would be locked up in Atlanta prison. For all the blames and the things we put on him. It's the truth. But that is a lie. God is love. And I'm telling you this morning, God is not angry with you one bit. Ah, Sam Bono asked me a question on the phone on Sunday afternoon. Oh my God. Brother, please, Look at my wallet. Quickly look at my wallet. Oh, okay. You give me your wallet then. Let me send for your wallet. Thank you, sir. 
these people. You guys, you need to start bringing dollars to the shuttle. <laughs> Thank you for your question. What question did they ask me? Huge. Huge question. He said, if God is love, why is it that the same God who is love asks Israelites to kill people? Why did God order the execution, mass execution, of other human beings? You guys are looking at me funny. Did you not read it in the Bible? I said, Sam, classical good question. Yes, God did. When did he do it? Under the old dispensation. He did it under the old covenant when his son had not appeased his wrath. There was a time, yes, when God was absolutely angry. He was angry at sin and the wickedness of man. And as a result of that, he absolutely wiped them out. Hey, but enter Jesus, the Son of the Living God. At the announcement of His death, the Bible said, "Peace and goodwill to all men." Oh, hallelujah! Oh, glory to God! Jesus ushered in a new dispensation, a new era. All the anger of God packaged. upon him. So God is no longer angry. He said, Pastor, that is a lot of grammar. Show it to me. I'm glad you asked. The book of Isaiah. Glory to God. Most Bible scholars will tell you Isaiah chapter 53 is the prophetic example in scripture that symbolically represents Jesus going to the cross. For instance, and I will not read too much of this because it's too much tough stuff. Isaiah 53 verse 1, who has believed that report? Unto whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For I shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. It was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, past tense. You notice know past tense, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are presenters. We are now, right now, presently, we are healed. So here in Isaiah 53, he talks about Jesus going to the cross. This is important to understand this dispensation, this timing, the timeline here. Isaiah 53 is at the cross. For me and you. Next chapter, 54, what should that be? Post-resurrection. post Calvary. He's gone to the cross, out of the grave, now alive and risen. The risen ascended Lord, Isaiah 54. As a result of what he has done, sing, O Baron. You who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Ah, my God. Let me read on. Let me just jump to now verse 9. You can read the whole chapter. 
All this chapter is post-resurrection. Verse 9. Look at what it says. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah will no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn. What did you swear, God? That I will not be what? Angry with you. Hello? Nor rebuke you. Hello? For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not be from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Oh my God. Let the redeemed of the Lord in this house say so. God is not angry with you. He has sworn by his own name. He will not be angry. His mercy shall not depart from you. And his kindness shall be upon you. It is a covenant and it's not a covenant breaker. Yes. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. I just showed it to you in the Bible. I just showed it to you. It's not angry. There is nothing you can do to get God to be angry with you. Nothing. There is nothing you can do to increase his love for you. And there's nothing you can do to decrease it. It's love is everlasting. Yes. From beginning to the end. He's the author and he finishes off it. So this morning, just receive it. Lift up your hands before God. Say, Father, I don't understand it. But your word said it. And I believe it this afternoon. You love me. Unconditionally, not because of any work of righteousness, not because of anything I have done, not because of my merit, not because I'm deserving, because you are love. I receive your love, I embrace your love, I thank you for your mercy, I thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your covenant of peace. I receive it. Peace belongs to me. Mercy belongs to me. Kindness belongs to me. Thank you, Father. I receive it now. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Let it rule in my life. Thank you, Father God. I bless your name for it. I give you thanks for it. I give you praise for it. Thank you for loving me so. In the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord God. Blessed be the name of the Lord.